Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Carlos Toro. I hope all of you guys are staying safe in this current situation that we have surrounding COVID-19, the coronavirus, the global pandemic, whatever you want to call it. I hope all of you guys are safe at home with your loved ones or or with anybody. I hope you guys are practicing social distancing. I hope you guys are doing well and hopefully your loved ones are also doing well or about as well as one can be during those times it's been a hot minute since we've last spoke it's been a very very trying time for boxing but not just boxing the whole, the rest of the world it's been a very very trying time but boxing has been hit pretty hard with covid-19 since we last spoke since we last had a podcast, it's uh, a number of companies, virtually every major boxing company in the world has postponed shows for March, for April, for May, most of June. The only boxing cards that we got going on, at least the major ones that we got going on in the coming months are... May 16 on the zone in Rigalar, we have the WBSS finals between Junior Dorticos and Mairis Briedis. I don't think that fight's going to happen. Like at the very least not on May 16. It's it's been crazy. It's it's crazy. Just to show like that's the next big fight a little more than a month and after that I mean, sure, you got a a small matchroom card on June 27th, but really the first major huge card that we got going on uh, on the schedule is July 4th in Manchester. Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin, possibly Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano also on that card. I mean, that card was, those two fights were going to be on the same card prior to the postponement, so... It's touch and go as far as boxing is concerned. And let's be honest, it's it's crazy. It's amazing how this, well, not amazing, it's pretty bad. But it's, you know, it's certainly been a unique 
experience having to deal with COVID-19, being at home, stuck at home, essentially quarantined. And for fighters and for trainers, for people that have worked in boxing, I really, really feel for these guys, especially the guys who are who are starting out, who are young, who, you know, who don't necessarily make six, seven figures per fight, but still depend on boxing to make ends meet, to provide for themselves and for their family. I feel for these guys the most. And I know there was a lot of people, kind of in response to Dana White reportedly trying to get a a Mortal Kombat island in order to stage fights for UFC moving forward, at least in the short term, there were some guys in boxing that I've seen on social media be like, why why can't a guy like Bob Arum or Al Heyman or Eddie Hearn or someone get their own private island so we can make fights? And and I kind of understand for, you know, in a sense, I like, I really do feel for a lot of these guys that really want to fight, that want to make money. And it's been crazy. It's been absolutely insane. Just seeing all these people, all these guys, kind of go into a, a situation where they aren't making any money or are forced to take other jobs just in order to make ends meet and are probably not making as much money as as they would have in boxing. So right now, it's... I'm... I I'm, well say I will say this from the start. I am fortunate enough to be in a position where I can still work from home and I'm not all that affected from COVID-19. I wake up every morning and I'm very very fortunate to be in this type of position. Not a lot of people are in the same position as I am. You know, as lucky as I am and as fortunate as I am to not have been affected all too much by COVID-19. I'm still worried. I'm still worried everything. You know, what if I catch it? What if one of my loved ones catch it? In fact, one of my uncles in New York currently is dealing with the coronavirus. For the coronavirus. He tested positive for that. And and obviously, it's I'm worried about him. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about everyone in New York and everywhere dealing with this virus. And with this global pandemic, I should say. And and for and in one on one side, I can understand why fighters want to fight to make money because they have no other way to make money, or at the very least, their livelihood has been greatly affected as a result. I feel for them, and a part of me, from a fan's perspective, would love to see some new boxing. Some, you know, just something new. You just want, just, I just want a, you know, life to go back to the way it was prior to everything that's been going on. It's now been, what, a month since this has really affected the United States? You know, it's absolutely insane that we're dealing with this. It's, but... The problem here is, as much as I would love to see boxing, and as much as I would love to see these boxers fight, I, you know, you have to also understand that 
the needs of a few outweigh the needs of many. And, you know, just because we want to see sports come back doesn't mean we we should get sports coming back. And the reason, and here's what I mean. When you're dealing with something, with a delicate situation like this, we have to do everything that we can in order to be able to, in order to, I get the, 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 the hot phrase that's being mentioned, flatten the curve. And you have to wonder why, and you, and you have to basically figure out how you can protect yourself, protect your loved ones, and do everything in your power to prevent this coronavirus from spreading any further than it already has. And the number of confirmed cases in the United States, it keeps growing every single day. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. So now I'm looking at this and I'm trying to think of myself, when is boxing going to come back? When is it going to come back? Well, as I just mentioned, you know, May 16th is the next big fight Dortigos versus Brietis, but that's going to take place in Latvia, and I, and I, and I have to admit, I don't know what the situation over there in Latvia is. It's, but it's going to be very hard to be able to see whether or not that fight can even be made because you're not just dealing with, with the situation regarding coronavirus in Latvia, but you also got to remember, Union Dortigos doesn't live in Latvia. You know, he lives on this side of the world. And he's going to have to, and we have no idea if by the time May 16 rolls around, or at least the start of that week, we have no idea if, if Dortigos is going to be able to fly out of the United States or wherever he is and head to Latvia. We have absolutely no idea if that's going to happen. And even if, even if he did have a chance to go, to Latvia and fight uh, Briedis. Is it really that good of an idea to do that? I mean, let's be honest. When we're dealing with fighters in a sport such as boxing, and I'll, and I'll include UFC and MMA as well, you're dealing with fighters from all over the country, all over the world, flying into one location and engaging in close quarters combat. There's going to be a lot of skin-on-skin contact. And fluid's gonna be flying all around, and I, I don't want to paint like a like a really grotesque picture, but you gotta understand, sweat, blood, spit is gonna be flying all over the ring, the cage, the octagon, wherever. And you're going to put these guys at risk. Now I know what you may say. Well, I mean, you only need a referee. You only need two judges. You need. You know, you know uh, the three judges, the referee, and the fighters. You don't really need that many people. You don't need. You can put it in front of a, in front of an empty arena. You can still do that. But that's not the point. That's the, the point. Isn't trying to minimize the chances of this spreading. The point is, you gotta find a way to completely eliminate any risk. And the closest thing we have is. Not flying people from all over the world to fight each other and risk other people from getting corona uh, the from getting COVID nineteen. 
Because let's be honest. Okay, so let's let me paint this scenario. Let's say, and by the way, I really hope this isn't, but I'm just painting a scenario just for, you know, just for this hypothetical. And I really, really hope it never, ever comes to fruition. I really hope not. Let's say Dorticos and Briades fight. And Dorticos is asymptomatic. He's not feeling, he's not feeling the symptoms, but he has COVID-19. And, you know, they do everything they can, but, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes... Sometimes you can't prevent that from, uh, you can't stop a fighter or stop someone if maybe they don't test it, but maybe they could potentially test it. I don't know. It's, it's very weird, but let's say they fight and one of these guys has COVID-19 and they keeps, and then they meet with other people. They meet with their trainer. They meet with what, the commission, whatever. And they spread those guys as a result. And then all of those people who are flying out of Latvia or wherever and wherever they have to go, and they infect those people. And those people infect more people and so on and so forth. So a lot of people might not think, well, it's just, you know, one one or two people, just a few people. What's the worst that can happen? It only takes one person for this to get exponentially worse. It really does. And I remember, and look. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister in the UK, he was he was talking about how he's gonna shake hands with people in hospitals and, and everywhere when common sense tells you avoid touching people, avoid shaking hands, if at all possible. And he did that and he and unfortunately he tested positive for COVID nineteen and was briefly in, in an intensive care unit. I'm glad that he that he reportedly is feeling better. He is stable, but it just goes to show that even if it's one person, there the risk of COVID nineteen is still running rampant. And I know what you, I know what some people are going to say. Well, we can't just live in fear of of the coronavirus. Life has to move on. How do you propose? To do that how do you propose for life to move on as usual when we don't know i don't think we all we know everything there is to know about covid 19 and we and and who's to say at the first instance of progress being made as far as cases going down the number of fatalities are, are going down or casualties or deaths uh, relating to COVID-19 go down. The moment we see it's like two weeks of ca- positive cases and deaths going down. And then you ha- and then you think, okay, maybe we can try do hold this sporting event. And then all of a sudden someone who was either playing at that sporting event or someone who is who was attending that event tests positive. Well now you've infected and now you potentially put Dozens, hundreds, if not thousands of people at risk. And then we go through all the rigmarole again. And now we're and now we're back to square one and things pro- potentially get worse. I don't claim to be an economics expert. I don't claim to be a health expert at all. You know, I don't claim to be a, a master of boxing or, or anything. I'm just a guy giving my honest opinion. And if you don't agree with it, well, tough luck. But... I would much rather see boxing 
take a long, long hiatus. If it meant we could potentially eliminate as much risk regarding COVID-19 as possible. If we can do that, I'm fine with taking four or five months away from boxing, if not even more. It's going to be rough, but we're going to have to adjust to boxing potentially not taking place until well into the summer, maybe the fall. Although I could say one thing that I do have to say, look, if there's a silver lining to all of this, to boxing taking a long, long break, I would say it's this. Could you imagine all the cards that we're going to have in the those first few months that that were back because there's there were there's a lot of guys that were planning to fight on in the coming months maybe some some of those fights weren't necessarily announced yet or at least formally announced but just take a look at the names whose fights were affected or canceled or postponed because of COVID-19 Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Dillian White, Billy Joe Saunders, let's see, Terrence Crawford, potentially, there were rumors of him possibly fighting uh, Kel Brook uh, in that fight. I don't know how close to a fight those two were. I don't know how close they were to making that fight official, but that without that's a name. That's a name that, that was being thrown around. Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, Clarissa Shields, Gervonta Davis, Vasily Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez. I could go on and on and on. Those are just like, that was just like a fraction of the number of names that we have. Alexander Usyk, he was also supposed to fight. Joe Joyce, Daniel Dubois, George Cambosos, Lee Selby, they were going to be in a in a lightweight title eliminator. Could you imagine in those first few months back, top rank, matchroom, golden boy, PBC, decide, you know what? Let's give let's give the fans some absolute banger of, of card. Really think, you know, those first few months are going to be fantastic once things go back to normal. And I don't know if things will go back to normal, or at least the normal that we had prior to all of this. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I, I am hoping. But to be honest with you, I all I'm hoping is that we we the number of cases and deaths of COVID-19 go down as much as possible, as quickly as possible. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we'll see. I really, really hope boxing also returns. Again, I really feel for all those guys who aren't making as much money and and depend on boxing to make a living. Because those guys, those guys, some of those guys don't have any, any other way to make money. You know, I don't know what their situation is. Everybody's situation is different. But there are guys who are going to struggle mightily because of this. And I hope those guys, I hope there's some way for those guys to be able to make money 
and, and find a way to keep themselves afloat and make sure you know, hopefully they don't end up homeless or jobless or whatever. I really, really do hope that they are able to to stay on their feet. And if any boxer that wants to come on this show, that wants to, you know, talk about how they've been, uh, how they've been affected regarding COVID-19, you know, if they have a PayPal, GoFundMe or whatever, or they have a gym or they have something, they have, or they have something, uh, a side venture or, or a side job that helps them keep uh, themselves afloat, or they want to find a way to spread the word out, you can talk to me. You can find me at, at carlstar360 on Twitter. We can, we can try to arrange something. I want to make sure, I want to help these guys who gave their life, who sacrificed a lot to be a part of the sport, and now they can't do anything because of COVID-19. So, again, I hope you guys are all safe. I hope you guys are doing well. I do have an interview coming up in in a minute or so with Australian manager Tony Tolge, who you may know as the manager of the Maloney twins, Andrew and Jason Maloney. And both of those guys are absolutely fantastic. They Both of those guys were also affected by COVID-19, by the way. They were going to fight uh, this month. You know, in separate fights, Andrew Maloney, who is the WBA Super Flyweight Champion, at least the secondary champion, the regular champion, quote-unquote world champion, whatever you want to call it. He was supposed to fight Israel Gonzalez, I believe, in the main event of a top-ranked card that will take place later later this month. And Jason Maloney, top bantamweight prospect, arguably the best bantamweight contender out there, he was supposed to fight Josh Greer. On the co-main event of the Naoya Inoue John Riel Casimero fight, and really, given how both Greer and Maloney Jason are signed by Top Rank, and they're two top bantamweights, and the main event was Naoya Inoue versus John Riel Casimero for three of the four bantamweight world titles, and Naoya Inoue is also promoted by Top Rank. It wouldn't be far-fetched to think the winner of Maloney versus Greer would have been lined up to fight Naoya anyway, maybe not next, but maybe two fights down the road. That's a possibility. So now Jason and Andrew miss out on those fights. Andrew could have be could have been in line to possibly face Chocolatito if the plan if the stars aligned if Andrew was victorious in his fight against Israel Gonzalez that was supposed to take place this month. So so now you're now kind of seeing the long-term effects on fighters' careers is that both Jason and Andrew were going to have could potentially be in line for absolute major fights against top, top, top names. Now we have no idea when, when it's going to happen, if it'll ever happen. So I spoke to Tony about it. I spoke to how he's handling... The situation, he's over there in Australia. I spoke to how the Maloney have been handling it. Some of his uh, other fighters. Uh, you know, what he thinks uh, could be done to combat COVID-19. At least boxing-wise, should we do empty arena uh, empty in ar- arena shows? And he even shares a very, very interesting, very funny story regarding uh, former world champion Chris John. 
uh, for his fight from years back against Dawid Jordan. And I think it's a very, very funny story. And I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Tony Tolge. Joining me for the first time ever on the Fightful Boxing Podcast, someone who I've had the pleasure of interacting on social media for now, I think it's been almost two years now, Australian manager Tony Tolge, who you may know as the man behind the Maloney brothers who are quickly taking uh, the U.S. by storm, or at least they were planning on on doing so this month, but unfortunately due to the uh, ongoing situation with COVID-19, the whole sport's kind of been in, well, not just the sport of boxing, but everything has been at a standstill. So I wanted to bring Tony on. It's been, this is really the first time we're really talking to each other, and we try to do this by video, but uh, Facebook is not letting me, uh, it's giving me a ton of problems. So we're doing this audio. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for coming on here. I really do appreciate it. You know, obviously, you know, this month was, we were supposed to have, you know, a a lot of big shows for top rank. Uh, Two of your fighters, Andrew and Jason Maloney, were going to be in marquee matchups. I mean, Jason was supposed to fight Joshua Greer on the, I believe it was the co-main event, the Dinaoya Inoue John Real Casimero fight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I thought, thought as far as a co-main and main event combination, that that was going to be a spectacular show. And then Andrew was going to make his first defense of his WBA super flyweight title against Israel Gonzalez later this month. But it's everything now has kind of been in a bit of a standstill, as I mentioned. Tony, um, kind of your reaction to everything that's been going on for the past, I guess now for the last month or so. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, like you, you mentioned, Jason was supposed to fight uh, Josh Greer. Uh, that whole card was going to be fantastic on uh, Amanda Lake Bay. Uh, Andrew was uh, yeah, making his first title defense in uh, Oklahoma. He was actually going to uh, be the headline fight for that event. <laughs> but yeah, then uh, then this uh, coronavirus just uh, has not only destroyed boxing, but the whole uh, sports industry. And uh, yeah, every day um, I'm watching the Trump uh, press conferences, seeing if the what's new there, because uh, basically. We sort of mirror in Australia what's happening over there um, with all our uh, lockdowns and shutdowns, and yeah, it's just a crazy time. Yeah, it's it's that's also another thing that I, that you brought up that's really interesting. That you know, it's not just how each country is reacting to this situation; it's how other countries are also managing everything and just sort of kind of playing off one another trying to see where things stand and obviously Jason and Andrew were going to fight in in the U.S. this month and obviously you know it's not going to happen and we really don't know when the sport is going to return because you know listen boxing is a global sport and a lot of the big fights that were going to take place in the U.S. they they were going to be headlined by fighters who were not born in the U.S. so really it's not just figuring out when your country is going to be is managing the situation, but how the U.S. is also managing and when travel bans are going to be lifted. So 
when you look at this situation, everything that's been going on, how has it been, at least overall in Australia, how is, from your perspective, how's, you know, the, the people, the government over there been sort of handling this? How have they been sort of managing the, their time uh, now that we're de- pretty much everyone is, is trying to stick to staying at home? Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, like myself, I um, I can't do any work at the moment because all I do is uh, is um, boxing and I, I run events in uh, Australia. Um, I also manage fighters and I can't put a fighter in a fight in in one country to another because everything's banned and um, all, all the guys are still still training. Um, not as intense, obviously, because there's no uh, date set forward. But an interesting story is um, the two Maloney's. Uh, they have uh, training partners in the same camp. Uh, one's uh, Bilal Dib and one's uh, Bruno Taremo, both uh, world-rated fighters. Um, and they live in the border of uh, New South Wales with, and uh, and Queensland in Australia. And the, Mal- the Maloney's can't train with the other guys because the borders are are blocked so those other guys can't leave their state and can't come over the line and it's only like a 10 minute drive wow i i did not know that about the whole border situation i mean in the u.s you they're they're kind of restricting as much travel as they can but really that's it's really more of a state thing where, you know, the states make the decisions on, you know, how long can people stay inside, what are the laws. It's really, you know, tr- President Trump can pretty much give his recommendation as to what each state should do, but ultimately it's the state's decision. So it's interesting to see to hear from how Australia is doing. And one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, especially in boxing, is that obviously... All the fighters, all the people that are involved have been affected. But I, at least me personally, the, the ones I feel for the most are the younger guys. The guys who aren't at the at a top level or aren't making a ton of money. Guys who are just starting out in their career, four, six, eight rounders. Uh, to me, I think I feel for those guys probably the most because they, you know, boxing might not be their full-time job, but it's still a way for them to make money. And, you know, for some of them, they can't even return to their day job because they're probably not being allowed to work. So it really does, I, I really do feel a lot for, for everyone, not just for you, for, for the Maloney, but, but especially the younger guys who don't have, uh, who don't get to spar with some of these um top names or or really get to do anything and and make some money for for themselves and for their loved ones that's right even the Maloney's themselves at the moment um because we don't know exactly when everything's coming back to normal they're doing a, a few uh, laboring uh manual labor jobs as well at the moment just to to, to get by so now i'm kind of curious you know obviously you know, when Top Rank first signed the Maloney brothers, um, I think there was a lot of people were excited, at, at least stateside, because they get to get their a first-hand look at 
both of them. I know we had Jason fight in Orlando in the World Boxing Super Series a couple of years ago against Emmanuel Rodriguez, but we never saw Andrew kind of be in that position. And I think a lot of people were really excited to see because from at least from a U.S. fan's perspective, I do think that a lot the there is genuine interest in both of them, especially with the stakes involved in not just in their next fight, but also potentially in the future. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of conversations you guys have had with Bob Arum, but at least I would, I can take a pretty wild guess in saying that the winner of Jason's fight against Josh Greer probably would be on that short list to fight the Inoue Casimero fight, and that was good, and that would have been for three belts. So obviously, kind of looking at this, you know, how has both Jason and, and Andrew kind of been, you know, reacting? What was kind of their react, first reactions or in your first reactions upon hearing that, hey, this fight might not be happening at all because of this situation that we have going on? Uh, they had uh, two reactions because they're uh, ultimate professionals, those guys, and that's what separates uh, uh, good fighters from uh, elite fighters. Initially, obviously, they're, they're disappointed. Um, and they really wanted to make a big uh, splash on, on the on the big scene and having a massive platform, which uh, Tom Prank have provided us with. Um, but it, they just said it's just going to give us more time to prepare ourselves better. And uh, they want to every day they're constantly improving out of sight. And the Jason that you saw in Orlando is a shell of him, himself at the moment. He, uh, he's just gone to a completely different level. Their, their punching power is improving daily. Um, so, yeah, Andrew and Jason, um, I was really looking forward to their, their U.S. debuts, but it, it is what it is, and you, you can't control um, the, what's happening in the world, and we should just be lucky that we're living and breathing, and that's, that's the main thing. Yeah, uh, totally agree with you. I mean, even though we were in this bad situation, I mean, you and I were both living, we're both breathing, as you said. So at least I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that my loved ones are currently okay for the moment. Uh, but obviously, you know, things change, not just daily, but hourly, sometimes even by the second. You know, I'm looking at this, obviously, the Maloney brothers aren't the only fighters that you manage. Obviously, you have a, a number of, very good fighters that are all coming up. They're all rising. One fighter that I'm very interested, um, who fought not too long ago, was Andres Campos. Who you know he fought. I believe he fought. Didn't he fight at your uh, the inaugural uh, Dragonfire Latino show that you had uh, in Chile? Yeah, that, that's correct. You know, I look at a guy like Campos. He's very young. He's 9-0, and and he's already holding a, a regional WBA title, and, and he's already fighting 10-rounders. One thing that I... Uh, I'll interrupt. He's also the WBO Latino champion now. Right, right. So, so obviously, he, this is a guy who's been quickly ascending through the ranks, and he's only nine fights in. So when you look at a guy like Campos, obviously with every fighter is different. I'd like to, and I always try to get this type of question in for their either their managers, their trainers, or the promoters is, when does, for a guy like Campos, in, in your eyes, when does it become to a point where 
you can feel like you can pull the trigger and put him up there with a top 15, top top 10 guy, or when it, or when is the time to your threat? Try to keep developing him. He's very young. He's only 23, so it's not like he, you know, his physical peak is going away anytime soon. So when when do you look at a guy and think? Now's the time to put him up there with a world-class fighter versus just trying to give him different types of opponents so he can get more experience for down the road. Um, it, it, it's on a fight-to-fight basis. We just uh, uh, step up the level of opponent each time and see the way that he progresses and uh, how he's going through the opponents, what he's learning, um, what we need to improve on, it's, it's all on a, a fight-to-fight basis. So I don't, don't want to push him uh, too early, but I don't want to hold him back uh, for too long either. It just depends on how much he's improving, but he's another uh, guy in the same uh, mould as um, as the Maloney's where they just, as, as soon as he fought, he just won the WBO Latino title and uh, defended the WBO Federal title. And, I think the next day he was already uh, doing 10, 15K runs um, just straight back into training because uh, he knows, because like you said, he's only 23, but there's just a wealth of potential, but uh, potential is what you make it. If you're just going to rely on potential, then you, you won't get too far. Now, I know, Tony, you are a wrestling fan. You and I have you know, spoken on Twitter and uh, and and privately on, on regarding wrestling, you've shown me uh, a lot of pictures with a lot of uh, wrestling legends. I'm curious. Obviously, I'm sure you're you're aware of how WWE has handled the the coronavirus situation. They've held their a lot of their shows at the WWE Performance Center in Orlando. They just held WrestleMania there. They've been essentially doing. You know, empty arena slash closed set shows, and kind of curious because it, obviously, like boxing, like MMA, you know, pro wrestling, you know, depending on you may or may not call it a sport, but it, it is, uh, you know, it is an industry where a lot of where it involves a lot of personal hand to hand contact. So just kind of looking up, not just a wrestling fan, but someone who is involved deeply involved in boxing. How do you? What do you make of WWE and how they've handled corona, uh, the coronavirus situation by essentially acting as they have to keep the show moving forward? Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it, it's a t- tough call for for everyone involved there, um, and it the card itself changed uh, quite a bit because uh, it's scheduled to have uh, Goldberg versus uh, Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns uh, himself uh, had uh, leukemia before, so his immune system is not that tolerable. So he made the decision himself to to pull out of the show. And then there was a triple threat. uh, You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current.
<laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tech team uh, title match, and uh, one of the guys, uh, the Miz, I believe, had the flu. So it went from a triple threat tag team match to only three singles guys on. So they're in a really difficult situation, and now they've got border um, issues as well. Uh, people, certain people can't leave the States. But yeah, basically, I believe they just wanted to get through it, get it over and done with, and then uh, sort of reset. And I, I don't know where they're going to go from here, just to wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, I am I really have no idea how they're going to keep moving forward, because obviously we have no idea when this is going to end. But one thing that I've, I personally was thinking about for, for the last couple of weeks is that you know, UFC has been adamant about also doing these type of shows, uh, closed set shows, studio shows, whatever you want to call it. And obviously, you know, that I'm aware of, boxing hasn't done anything of that in response. And just kind of want to get your thoughts on the idea of maybe having some of these fights, maybe not necessarily a, a Naoya Inoue or an Anthony Joshua or a Canelo fight in these types of shows, but at the very least, have guys you know, be a part of, you know, some these closed set shows where, sure, there might not be any fans, but at least you'll have I, both new content and also you can keep some of your fighters at least a little busy and they can make a little bit of money. So, it, obviously, it's going to be very hard because of the coronavirus situation and obviously countries all over the world are not even going to allow that. But if things come down to a little bit... Maybe not fully returned to normal, but is that something that you feel that could potentially happen where we see not just boxing, but also sporting events be held in uh, behind closed doors with no fans being allowed to enter? Yeah, I believe so. In Australia, we have uh, Australian football, and uh, they had one uh, round, and then it, it, everything shut down, but they had uh, no fans in the arena. Um the, the UFC, I just read uh, today that uh, Dana White is planning on putting everyone on a private island. I don't know if you saw my social media post. I, uh, I told him I found the perfect island for him, and I put up a picture of uh, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw that. It was... <laughs> I, I'm... Yeah, but in, regards to, in regards to my boxes, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're open to anything. That All, all the guys that, that I work with... Um, I can consider good uh, friends, and they're all uh, have that competitive uh, nature. And it, it, even like you're saying with the Maloney's, if you told them that we got a fight for them, and it was in the, um, it, was, it was literally in their backyard, they, they, they do that. They just want to fight, and they and they want to fight the best. One thing that I actually wanted to also get your thoughts on, obviously. Uh... 
I, I don't want to just you know talk entirely about you know COVID nineteen. Uh, obviously, it is it obviously the biggest story, not just in in sports but in the world. But at the same time, I also want to kind of get. Um, you know, get a little personal with with these guys that I got coming up, and also just have a little fun. So obviously, you are someone who has is a big fan of Chris John. Uh, just kind of want to get, you know, what your favorite uh, memory or your favorite fight regard uh, involving Chris John was. Uh, just so you know, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I, I was part of Chris John's management team, yep. uh, and. We, we were part of uh, Chris John's team since, I think, oh, maybe 2003. Um, but as far as a favourite fight, it's uh, his biggest fight will be the, the one Manuel Marquez uh, fight. Um, yeah, from uh, it's about 26, uh, 2006, right? Yeah, and that's I, I knew that was coming straight away. Uh, there was a purse bid for, I can't remember at the time, it was Marquez and someone else, and um, there was no per, no one bid for the purse bid. So that means uh, Marquez was stripped of his IBF title, and uh, he was the WBA super champion, I, I believe. And, um, and Chris yeah, was the, the regular champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew that it was coming straight away, so I I started everything um, literally um, straight away and prepared for that. But that's actually that's one of my most proudest victories. But the biggest uh, fight, I believe, I think I'd, I'd have to say it was Chris John versus uh, Dad Jordan, another Indonesian. That was. Um, the only time I believe in history that two Indonesians have fought for a world title in Indonesia. Uh, Dowd was the up-and-comer and everyone was saying that he's uh, going to be too good for Chris. He's uh, too old. Uh, Chris John's too old. He's a bit past it now. And um, there was actually an internal bet as well, it's probably no one even knows this, uh, between um, us and uh, Dow Jordan's management, if um, we both backed our guys uh, that much to the point of whoever won the fight, whoever lost the fight, uh, would would change, uh, change management as well, <laughs> would be looking after them. Wow, I I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that that was never discussed in any uh, media platforms. But yeah, that, that's what happened. So if Chris was to lose, which we we knew that was never going to happen, just once you've got you've got so many boxes in the in the boxing, uh, you've got the power, the skills, the technique, the um, what do you call it, the experience, uh, stamina. I believe Chris just ticked too many boxes, and yeah, I, I I couldn't see him losing any fights to be honest. And he only did lose one fight, and that was right at the end. And uh, he was too proud, which to his detriment, to tell us that he had some uh, health issues leading up to his last fight, and he didn't want to let anyone down. And we said, 
you know, boxing comes and goes. Our priority is your health, so just needed to know that. But it is what it is. Well, that was a that was a pretty riveting story. I did not know about that little uh, that little internal bet. Um, and lastly, just kind of want to get you know. Uh, on your side, um, how did you personally get involved in boxing, or at least what was your earliest memory of the sport, of being exposed to the boxing and kind of thinking, this is something I want to be involved in uh, for the rest of my life, or at least on a professional level? Um, I actually started in the professional industry in boxing when I was, I think, 22, maybe just turning 23. And I started as the graphic designer for um, the for, for Harry's Gym, which is uh, which had Chris John, had Nafal uh, Ben Rabah, uh, and a heap of other um, uh, boxers as well. But um, you know, day by day, I was just helping uh, more and more with because uh, there was like a assistant. Uh, to to Craig, who was the trainer, promoter, manager, virtually was doing it all, and he had an assistant there as well, and she didn't know too much of what was going on there, and she'd always ask me for help, and I was end up doing my job plus uh, her job, and then eventually came to the point where she left, and then uh, it was just uh, Craig and myself, and I was doing more and more, and. Uh, he was a colourful character, and he he, um, he was uh, he spent a few holidays uh, for extended periods of time away. So I was looking more and more after the the fighters, and I was working. Uh, one guy that uh, um, assisted me greatly and, and sort of my apprenticeship with him as well was uh, with not only Craig was uh, Samson Lukowitz from America. He's been a great help, as well as uh, uh, Angelo Ida, who's my current partner in the boxing. We all just got along well, and yeah. And plus, I've been since I was five years old. I was watching the the wrestling, and to the people that watch the wrestling and the boxing, behind the scenes, there's such similarities that everything's actually run. Where that's what really got me excited and plus after I've been spoiled in the boxing where I was in the industry for probably not even a year and I had uh, we had Chris John who ended up being the WBA fighter of the decade wow I mean yeah uh, your story certainly a lot more interesting than mine I started liking boxing because my dad just started putting on HBO fights uh, when I was a little kid and my mom just happens to buy me a couple of video games and that's just pretty much it. But your story's a lot more interesting than mine. <laughs> uh, we all got our own stories and we all got our love for, for the industry. It's uh, At times it's the best sport in the world, sometimes it's the worst sport in the world. But um, we'll get back to it uh, soon enough. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Tony, thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a very, very enlightening conversation. Get some insight regarding yourself and the Maloney's and maybe even uh, reminisce a little bit about the, the, the good old days before COVID-19 kind of pretty much changed everything. Now, thanks for having me. It's been great and I really enjoyed it. 
and we're back. It's, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Tony. Tony's great, and uh, Tony is, you know, I don't know if he considers me a friend or anything like that, but I, but he's someone I've interacted a number of times on Twitter He uh, and on social media. We've, we've talked privately, we talked personally, uh, publicly on, on social media. He's an all-around good dude, and I really hope he and his fighters stay safe. I hope they are able to keep themselves afloat throughout this situation. So, obviously, not a whole lot of news to kind of get into. So, one thing that I wanted to do, at least for the ne- for these next few podcasts moving forward, is to kind of fill the time. One thing that I wanted to do was, potentially, uh, was share some stories of my time as a boxing writer as a boxing reporter and just going to give you guys kind of the ins and outs how boxing media operate when it comes to covering shows traveling and all that kind of stuff it's uh, it's a very interesting world and it certainly was a very very unique experience the first time i ever covered a boxing fight not not went to a boxing fight but covered one as a member of the media so so kind of here is the story and and by the way, there will be moments, and I will let you know, there will be some moments, uh, there will be a moment in the story where the language is going to be a little bit uh, inappropriate. Not because I want to say some inappropriate thing, but, if that's, but it's because I'm going to be paraphrasing someone else, Floyd Mayweather's own words. And I got to tell you, it, it was maybe one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard in a press conference for a fight. That's not even involving him. It's involving one of his fighters, Javante Davis. So, about so, go back three, almost three and a half years ago, the start of 2017. I was starting. I was five, maybe starting my sixth month at Fightful. Fightful at this time, I was one of the. For those who may not know, who are just starting to watch and read our great content at Fightful. For for those of you who don't know, I was one of the original people that started when Fightful launched. I brought in to kind of help a little bit with everything. Uh, They, you know, I brought in to do boxing work, but they also wanted me, you know, just until they kind of get things situated and get an actual staff, a full-time staff to work on certain sections of the site. I did a little bit of everything. Wrestling, did MMA. I some of you who maybe who may remember, I did some of the live coverage posts for those early uh for those early UFC shows that Fightful did. I believe I did the McGregor Diaz rematch. I did the live post uh the, the live coverage post for that, but that's not here and there. So a couple of months into the job I was asking Sean, hey um, what if we can try to see if I can get credentials? I mean, I li- at the time, I lived in Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, this was, and by the way, this was in the summer. This was Hamil- uh, Hamilton, New Jersey, which is not that far off from Lawrenceville, New Jersey. I was staying with my cousin until my senior year uh, at school, which then I would go back to live in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. So the thing about New Jersey is that there is a, the train system there. You can, like, not even 20 bucks. You can go straight to New York City 
and arrive at Madison Square Garden, and you take the subway, and you can get to the Barclays Center. So it was easy for me to travel to these different shows at Madison Square Garden and Barclays Center if they have, if Fightful ever wants to send me to cover those shows. And I asked Sean a couple of months in, hey, what do you think about me trying to cover these shows? And Sean, and Sean Russapper, great managing editor, he was like, eh, okay, it was a little too early for that. And I thought, okay, it's fine. Then fast forward a couple of months later, and I'd say maybe I think it was November. I can't remember all too, all too well the specific date, but I asked him, hey, if I can get myself a press credential for the January 2017 Showtime show, which was Bado Jeffers and James DeGale for the WBC and IBF Super Middleweight titles, what do you think about that? And he told and he told me, okay, if you can if you can find that if you can make that happen, okay, go ahead. So I went through the proper channels. By the way, uh, and I had no idea how the hell that I know the quote unquote proper channels to go to because I'd never done this before. Uh, I was I'd only been involved in journalism for a few years. I was still a college student. I was a reporter for my college paper, but you know, as when as far as you know covering events and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't all too familiar with that. I, I was I was a Yankees minor league beat writer at the time also, but I wasn't the one that was handling, you know, applying for press credentials and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how the hell that I managed to get into it, much less so actually getting approved. You know, and again, Fightful's a site that's not even half a year old, and they got credentialed for for a major Showtime car to open 2017 at the Barclays Center. So I have no idea how the hell we even got approved. But that's not here or there. We did get approved. And I got sent into, uh, you know, I traveled to Brooklyn. I stayed at a hotel for for the week. And it was essentially me cutting my winter vacation short because uh, my college wasn't supposed to start class for another week and a half, if I'm not mistaken. So I go in there, and I, I stay in Brooklyn. And, you know, and for those of you who have no idea how boxing media works when it comes to coverage. So basically, on a, during fight week, you have, sometimes you have open workouts, media workouts that they'll typically do on Tuesday. Maybe even Wednesday. And the Thursday, and this is also mean the fights on Saturday. So on Thursday is when they typically have the final press conference. And the press conference that we had for Gervonta, for Bader Jack, James DeGale, and the co-main event was Jose Pedraza versus Gervonta Davis. This was the fight that Gervonta Davis first won his world title, his first world title. So we we essentially got into the the Highline Ballroom, and it was a lot of fun. We I got in there, you know, announcement, you know, went through the proper channels again, got in. Interviewed a number of guys. I've interv- I interviewed Eddie Hearn, who, by the way, I don't know if sometimes maybe the camera doesn't necessarily do him justice, but Eddie Hearn is very, very tall. Dude is humongous. I remember, and by the way, I'm not a short person. I don't even think I'm an average sized person, average height. I'm five foot eleven. Um, with. Big enough shoes. I'm a flat six feet. And he is tall. But 
the way this sport, but but I looked at him and it's like he's humongous. So I interview Eddie Hearn. By the way, I was nervous as hell because I've never been in this situation, so I don't don't recommend looking up those interviews. <laughs> uh, I interviewed Lou Nabella. Uh, I interviewed Jose Pedraza, who and I could be wrong, but I believe he. I was the first person, the first media reporter to tell him, uh, to be told from Pedraza himself that regardless of what was going to happen in the fight against Jonathan Davis, he was going to move up to 135 pounds because he wasn't getting the the fights that he wanted. So he figured, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go to 135 and see if I can win a world title and then get a unification. Turns out he actually, well, he did win a world title, and he did get a unification fight against Vasily Lomachenko uh, in December 2018, but he didn't win that fight, so. But regardless, he, I believe he, you can, maybe someone can fact check me on this, but I'm fairly certain I was the first person to report that he, Jose Pedraza was moving to 135 pounds. And he and eventually did for his next fight, even though that fight took a lot longer to happen uh, after the loss to Javante Davis, so. And yeah, we got we got our interviews. We got to, uh, you know, talk with Floyd Mayweather, who promotes Javante Davis and everybody else. It was a lot of fun. The weigh-ins came in, and for those of you who don't know, the weigh-ins, unless you're kind of specific media, who mainly stuff like TV or big big YouTube channel like a, like a Fight Hub, Fight Hub TV or, or Fight Hype, and um, you know you don't really get to talk with fighters at the weigh-ins. It's, you know, fighters. They get their weigh-ins done, and then the one, then they kind of get the hell out of Dodge after they've, you know, finished their mandatory media uh, commitments just so they can be able to rest up, rehydrate, eat whatever they want to eat now that they got the weigh-ins done. And they kind of got the, and they got the, you know, just everything done. Now they didn't get to talk to anybody at the weigh-ins, but that's not important. So the day of the fight came in, and it was very, very funny because... So, for those of you who don't know, when when you're a member of the boxing in, in boxing shows, they give you a press credential, and usually it's this lanyard that you laminated lanyard that you kind of hang up, hang about, hang around your neck, and they color code these. So they kind of have these separated into whether or not you're a promoter, you're working with the network, you're with you know a photographer, and if you are with what they call news media and what they call auxiliary media. So news news media are kind of I guess the the media, you know, newspapers, uh, big websites that they want, you know, they want to give you know the best seats on the house. They'll send the news media people to ringside, and the auxiliary media are kind of like the smaller guys that you know who are still media. But what they'll do is they'll just send. All uh, send those guys all the way up and like higher up in the Barclays Center, higher up in the building. Uh, and, and I can tell you from experience, unless you have a, unless you have one of those mobile hotspots, those portable hotspots where you kind of turn on, you get Wi-Fi from that, and you connect to that kind of your own private little network. If you don't have that, you're actually better off sitting with the auxiliary media because. Chances are the Wi-Fi is not going to go down on you. Uh, it's not going to go out when you're sitting high up versus ringside. Because at ringside, you have dozens, if not hundreds of people connected to the same Wi-Fi that, uh, 
you know, and that and that becomes a huge mess. And I've been on and I've been on the wrong end of things where you have the Wi-Fi kind of go out and it just sucks and everything, and and I have to work and write from my phone and I look awkward as hell. But regardless, so I get a press credential and it says and it says news media, and they tell me to go down or at least. The indication is that I was supposed to go to ringside. And that's something. All right, cool. I'm going to go to ringside. I go downstairs. I set up and everything. Then I have a security guy. And he looks at me and he, and he asks me, hey, you're not supposed to be here. And I'm just like, wait, hold on. What, what do you mean? I got the thing. I got, and it's telling me I can be here ringside. And it says I'm supposed to be here ringside. And my name is all laminated and everything it's got a i have a seat reserved my in my name the uh, fightful's also in there i got everything in there and they told me and the dude tells me no 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 you can't can't go there and then i have to and essentially have to go all the way back up and by the way traveling from where you get your credentials to ringside that's not an easy walk that's not a short walk you have to go all through like almost halfway through the arena you know, down low, down below, uh, at at floor sitting. Then take a long elevator up. Then you have to walk, all, again, almost halfway across the Barclays Center just to be able to get to the place where you got your credentials. And we had, and there was a big mess. And they kept, and I have to go back up, then back down to try to explain to do what they told me to tell them. And then he tells me no. And and the dude was incredibly stubborn. And I get it. He was doing his job. I understand. He was doing his, he, he was just being incredibly stubborn, and I'm just like, there was literally everything that was telling, that that showed the dude was wrong, and I was right, and then I had to go all the way back, and by the way, I was at a good 45 minutes just walking up and down in a suit where it was hot as hell, even though it was January in New York, and, and I managed to get that result, but it was a huge, huge mess. And I get there, you essentially are given kind of like, and you're given, you know, depending on arena, you get like food little voucher, food vouchers to, um, you know, eat at the concession stands or, you know, they pay up. So it's not like they paid for my food. They just gave me a little voucher, which by the way, given how the Barclays Center and Madison Square Garden, given how expensive their food is, the voucher wasn't worth for a whole lot. Maybe... Maybe a couple of drinks, and I mean stuff like water, Gatorade. I don't drink alcohol, and you're not. And at the at the very least, at Madison Square Garden, you're not allowed to drink alcohol if you're media. As far, or at least that's what I've been told. And and I and I'm like, fine, okay. I covered the fight, no problem. Then I go back to the press conference because after the fight, you know, they have this little room set up for press conferences where you know media can talk to the fighters that were just there. Uh, the promoters, television networks, and everything. And and as I mentioned, this was Gervonta Davis fighting Jose Pedraza in the co-main event. And Gervonta Davis dominated Pedraza to become the new IBF Super Featherweight Champion. It was a brilliant performance. And as I mentioned, Davis is promoted by Floyd Mayweather. And Mayweather pretty much took control of that entire press conference. Like, it... Mayweather spoke, if I, if I remember correctly, Mayweather spoke way more than Javante Davis did. And let's remember, this was 2017. Javante Davis was still a very, very young kid. 
and he was very soft-spoken, he didn't talk a whole lot. Floyd Mayweather did a lot of the talking. And at, at one point in the press conference, we're all just sitting here taking notes, preparing our questions, recording, you know, with our audio recorders or with our cameras. I had an audio recorder at the time. I didn't have a camera. Uh, but I could record my phone, and I so wish I recorded this with my phone so I can at least have video proof. But there is video proof. You can you can search it up. You can search it up. because And I'm not BSing you. And that's where, the, where I might say some inappropriate stuff. But this is me paraphrasing Floyd. This is not me saying this. This is Floyd saying. He goes, at some point, he's talking about his fighter and giving advice to what his fighter, you know, to, to his young fighters and everything and all that. And, and he comes this really long promo about believing in him, giving him some tough love and just doing everything he can to make sure Gervonta Davis has a future in boxing and make sure Gervonta Davis is tested well and properly prepared for his new life as a world champion. So he goes out and all of a sudden, he starts plugging his strip club, Floyd Mayweather strip club, like which was I think it was like what a few a couple of weeks from un- being unveiled. He goes out and just talks and talks and talks about his strip club and is essentially advertising, just telling us media like you guys when you guys go to Vegas, you know, you know, make sure to check out uh, my, my strip club. And he can I love and it was so bizarre. Again, you can look it up. And he basically starts saying, uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was talking about how. You know, about his vis- business ventures. And, and he's talking about how proud he is about about his strip club. And he's saying that, you know, there are three things, you know, um, ass, titties, and uh, other lady private parts that and they, they, they will never go away. And the rhino has, you know, has skinny women with big, with big boobs. And again, these are Floyd's words. The, the, you know, so Rhino's got skinny women with big boobs, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I'm, I'm open-minded, but, you know, sometimes guys like to have, like to see women with curves, and that's what we got here at the Girl Collection, which is the name of Floyd Mayweather's strip club. And he says, like, we have a little bit of everything, and, you know, you want to see women with curves? We, you know, we gotcha. And it was so... And everybody and a lot of people in the room laughed, but we just, we were stunned. And it's like, what the hell is he talking about? And he thought he made sure this like, and he said like, you know, we, you know, you can, in Las Vegas, you can call it a, a gentleman's club. You know, it's a strip club. We are not a whorehouse. We're not a whorehouse. We, we you know, we are, you know, we're, we're classy. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is a press conference for... A for Gervonta Davis winning his first world title, and all Floyd Mayweather is doing right now is cutting a promo to advertise his strip club. And by the way, I could be wrong. I don't, you know, I don't know how it is in Las Vegas. Maybe he is old enough, but I'm pretty sure Gervonta Davis wasn't even old enough to be at the strip club. At the very least, I don't think he was old enough to drink, or at least he ju- had just been turned. 21 or 22 but like he was very very young and I'm just like wow what the and I'm like I don't think I could 
And I'm trying to think. Was I old enough? To, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 21 at the time. I, I was not. I was gonna turn 22 later that year, but it was so weird. It's like Floyd Mayweather is. First of all, he spends 15 minutes talking about preparing his young fighters, talking about how he has his best fighters and interests, and just talking talking himself up, talking Gervonta Davis up, talking Showtime up. And then all of, a spun, all of a sudden, he takes three minutes and talks about his strip club. For whatever, for no reason. We weren't in Vegas. We were in Brooklyn. So it wasn't like Floyd was inviting us to go to the strip, strip club after the, after the press conference was over. The strip club wasn't even open yet. It wasn't even open yet. So I just want to think to myself... This is my very first boxing press conference, post-fight press conference. This is my, the very first boxing event I go to. And I am enlightened by Floyd Mayweather's promo on his upcoming strip club. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh my god, I, I'm pretty sure I picked the right profession. I'm pretty sure this is going to be something I'm going to love doing for the rest of my life. Or at the very least, that night, that moment that's going to be, whew, it was, it was something. And, and by the way, the event was great. I loved the, the card was really, really fun. Amanda Serrano was in one of the top feature fights there. They had her fight not on Showtime. They had her on Showtime Extreme. And it was like, and at the time, it was still rare for a women's fight to air on uh, on television, a women's world title fight to air on U.S. national television. It was still very rare uh, back in 2017, but she got a fight there, and I'm, and I'm very proud. Uh, the, you know, as a Puerto Rican boxing fan, I'm proud that Amanda Serrano was able to do that, and I think Amanda Serrano is going to be a first battle hall. Is maybe not first battle hall of famer, but I think she will be a hall of famer uh, when she finally hangs up her gloves. And you know, as I mentioned, Javante Davis against Jose Pedraza. It wasn't a great fight, but Gervonta Davis was sensational, and he stopped Jose Pedraza to become the new IBF lightweight champion. Baru Jack versus James DeGale was fantastic. It was a very, very good fight. Very competitive. It ended in a draw. I also had scored it a draw 113-113, and both guys uh, were dropped in the first and second, and the First and final round. So it was very, very exciting. I, I loved it. The atmosphere was fantastic. I ended up doing... I don't know if I have... I don't know if I did every single Showtime card at the Barclays Center that year. I don't quite remember. Maybe I missed one. But I'm fairly certain I did all of them, including I, including the Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, press tour that they stopped in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I was there. I was to the right side of the podium. I, and you couldn't, I don't think you could see me. I don't think I've ever seen the press conference on television. I witnessed it. And I was maybe like three or four rows onto the right, still on the floor. So maybe I was just narrowly outside of the press, uh, of where the camera was showing, if they showed any media or people out there, and it actually, believe it or not, there was actually a UFC. I think it was UFC embedded that you know one of the, one of the many many things that UFC and 
uh, posted about the fight, about the build-up to the fight. And believe it or not, I I was not there. I did not show up on camera, nor was my voice heard on there. But there was a question that Dana White was answering. And it was a question I had asked him. And his answer made it into the embedded. And I remember it, my question was about him, about... Me, uh, I, I essentially asked Dana White, when you have Conor McGregor up there, how worried are you every time Conor steps up to the podium that he's going to do something absolutely insane uh, or do something that's going to get you guys in a lot of trouble? And he was telling me, and, and you can search it up, and you can search it up. It, it's I don't remember which episode was it, but it was definitely one of the UFC specials or documentaries or whatever you want to call it uh, that he answered. Uh, and it was telling me, yeah, it's, I'm a pretty, you know, I get nervous every single time. So, so that was a little bit of a brief history of me covering my very first boxing event. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, I, I'd be more than happy to share with you uh, a lot of different stories that I've had over the years. I've, you know, listen, I traveled to New York. I've traveled to Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center countless times. I've traveled to Los Angeles. I've traveled all over. So I do have some, I have some, you know, some personal stories that I think are very, very entertaining. I hope you guys find this entertaining. So I think that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at CarlosToro360. You can check out Fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. The new newsletter will come out next week, hopefully somewhere between the 16th and the 17th of April. Uh, maybe not a whole ton of news, but a lot of unique stuff. Uh, on this ed- this upcoming edition of the Fightful Boxing Newsletter. So make sure to watch for that. If you're listening to this on Fightful's MMA and Boxing YouTube, hit that bell icon to get notified on videos coming up. Subscribe to our bo- MMA and Boxing YouTube channel as well as our Pro Wrestling channel. And for the Fightful Boxing Podcast, I'm Carlos Toro, signing out. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.